not all stress is bad. You know, some stress is helpful and there's research around that. And we all need a little bit of stress maybe to study for a test or make sure we, you know, prepare for a certain situation. So a little bit of stress is okay, but it's when there's too much stress that becomes the problem and can cause what's called distress or, you know, feelings of uncomfortable. So there is evolutionarily, we have what's called a stress response. So we as humans mount a stress response when in um, encountering danger. And it's something we don't even have to think about. You know, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, respiratory rate goes up, and it prepares us to something called fight or flight. And that's all good. And we want that. (laughs) We want that stress response. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life. Let's get started. Welcome back, friends. It's Maya, your host. Uh, Great topic that we are going to talk about today. And this is in the category of stress management. So if you're tired of feeling stressed like I do, you know, I tend to feel stressed regularly and you're overwhelmed, we are going to talk about resiliency and how to improve your overall well-being. Uh, So you don't want to miss this episode of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast. Our guest today is Dr. April Hirschberg, and she's a board-certified psychiatrist and lifestyle medicine expert who has dedicated her career to helping patients find peace and balance through mind-body techniques like the relaxation response and stress management and resiliency training. In this interview, Dr. Hirschberg shares her insights on the connection between stress and chronic illness, the benefits of eliciting the relaxation response, and practical tips for building resiliency in your daily life. Whether you're a cancer survivor, a veteran, or simply someone looking to reduce stress and improve your health, this episode is sure to provide valuable insights and actionable advice. So sit back, relax, and join us for a fascinating discussion on the power of mind-body medicine. As always, the full bio and the links for each of my guests can be found on the website, healthylifestylesolutions.org. And let's welcome Dr. Hirschberg. Well, thank you so much, Maya, for that kind introduction and just having this opportunity to speak with you today about something I'm so excited to talk about and feel that really everyone should know about. So that's why, you know, to have a platform like yours talk about this important subject is is so um, wonderful. It is. Please tell us, what is the relaxation response? Well, that has a lot of um, stress, uh, you know, all around. And that's the thing about life. Uh, It prepares us well for stress because there are so many opportunities for stress surrounding us. Yet, there's also opportunities to take part in um, the stress relaxation and uh, to quiet that um, stress response. So I just want to first speak about stress, if that's okay, Maya, and then to talk about the the relaxation response, because that's really how um, D- Dr. Herb Benson came to um, describe the relaxation response, because stress, as you point out, is all around us. And because not all stress is bad. You know, some stress is is helpful and there's there's research around that. And we all need a little bit of stress maybe to study for a test or make sure we, you know, prepare for a certain situation. So a little bit of stress is okay, but it's when there's too much stress 
that becomes the problem and can cause what's called distress or, you know, feelings of uncomfortable. So there is evolutionarily, we have what's called a stress response. So we, um, as humans, mount a stress response when da- in um, encountering danger. And it's something we don't even have to think about. You know, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, our respiratory rate goes up, and it prepares us to something called fight or flight. And that's all good. And we want that. <laughs> we want that stress response. The problem is, is that sometimes, um, the stress response goes up even when those stressors are not as dangerous as, uh, you know, somebody chasing us or back, you know, in evolution, you know, it's not like we're being chased by a tiger or something. So we mount a stress response even to the the chronic everyday stressors of life. You know, if we can have this little um, peaks and and valleys and peaks and valleys throughout the day. But what we don't often do is practice the relaxation response. So I'll just tell you that the stress response and that heart rate, blood pressure, and all of that was discovered and described by a, a doctor at Harvard Medical School back in the early 1900s and was described. So the stress response is actually our body's sympathetic nervous system. So it's very well described what the, there's a scientific um, response because it High raises our um, adrenaline, norepinephrine, you know, it activates our cortisol, it activates what's called the amygdala in our brain. So there's a very scientific description of what the stress response is. And it was in um, the late 60s, early 70s that Dr. Herb Benson, who is and was a cardiologist, um, was studying blood pressure and heart rate. And he was approached by people, meditators, <laughs> transcendental um, meditation individuals who practice this form of meditation for a lot during the day, they approached him because they were able to lower their blood pressure and heart rate. And so in terms of to try to figure out what that phenomenon was, he studied them, their blood pressure, their heart rate, you know, had them monitored and everything. And he described what they were doing. They were activating what's called their body's relaxation response, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. So then describe the very opposite of the the um, sympathetic nervous system that gets us ready to fight stress. There's also one that kind of calms us and relaxes us. But we never really learned that because unfortunately, we don't have a lot of opportunities to rest and relax. But the parasympathetic nervous system that rest in and relax instead of the fight and flight is rest, relax and digest. So Dr. Benson was one of the early pioneers of mind-body medicine because he literally wrote the book on, it's called the the relaxation response. Um, And I remember my mom had that growing up on our bookshelves that was a red book. And um, so, but he wrote that book because he wanted the lay people, everybody to know about these important things that we can do as individuals to be our own medicine, really and engage in these types of techniques because you don't have to be practicing meditation 40 minutes a day to get the benefits of the relaxation response. So I think that's a long enough answer and I'll let you um, ask the next one. Wow, that is a great explanation. And yes, as well, something that you just touched on that really stands out is the fact that we don't have to necessarily spend 40 minutes doing a meditation. I think that 
perhaps that is one reason that people shy away from meditating, for example, is that they say, I don't have that sort of time. I got to keep going. I got to keep going, especially in the culture we live in. Absolutely. Um, Having these conversations and giving our listeners tools as to what they can do, I think can be very helpful. What are, so tell us how you work with patients um, who are hesitant to try these mind-body techniques like we just said, meditation or relaxation exercises, and what are some of those strategies that you use to help them to over, overcome the resistance? Well, I think what you just said is is um, key because the most helpful thing is, I think, is information and education. So I think learning about the fact that we have these two very powerful and opposing reactions in our body, we have the stress response and we have the relaxation response. And that it's in with in our power to be able to do that. So I think helping individuals realize the scientific background. I mean, me personally, I I certainly wasn't even interested in hearing about meditation until, you know, my late to mid 40s because I didn't understand the science behind it. And that sounds hard to believe, given the fact that I went to medical school and then had other additional training. But, you know, I think that it's that mind body medicine has seen by some to be a little out there or a little bit too woo-woo, as some people say. But really, it is very scientifically based. And what you point out, you know, when we're in the stress response, our, our, the part of our brain, the amygdala, which is in charge when we're in, under a lot of stress, um, the fear and the, and the um, potentially anger, it does overwhelm the rest of our body. It's the newer it's part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, is the part that's in charge and thinks clearly, but that kind of gets shut off when we're in the stress response. So what what your coach does is excellent because we have the ability to quiet that by activating that parasympathetic nervous system and deep breathing does it. You don't have to do 40 minutes. Again, not to say that 40 minutes wouldn't be terrific for us all to do. It's like, Everyone ideally would be doing um, 30 minutes of exercise a day, but, but, you know, just a little bit has benefits too. We want to start where people are at. So the deep breathing technique that you're doing and that our listeners can do activates that parasympathetic nervous system. It does, it changes the way in which our brain is working and it activates um, and it allows us to have the clarity of thought. There's a, a really neat, I didn't uh, tell you about this before, Maya, but I don't know if you know Goldie Hawn. Um, she's a very famous actress and she has got a great program that working with kids in the school, teaching some of these things, because it's never too early to teach this and it's never too late. That's the good thing. But we need to know that we have this ability to activate these parts of our brain. And by deep breathing, we, it's it's called the the vagus nerve, which is a, the big nerve that's in charge of the parasympathetic nervous system, that we're able to interrupt that stress response and bring about the relaxation response. So I think it's just teaching that it doesn't have to be, like you said, the 40 minutes, it doesn't have to be that complicated, but deep breaths. But I have a 14-year-old daughter, and I'll tell you, if you ask her to take a deep breath when she's stressed out, you'll get a serious eye roll. So that's why it's important to, you know, practice these things before you're stressed. So you know about it and you can call upon that um, in other situations. I I like what you just said about, uh, well, first of all, yes, a teenager, a young person <laughs> yeah. is not going to necessarily be aware 
of what she has to do at that very moment. But you right. also just address on another thing that I'm trying to get ahead of in the sense of that taking preventative measures. There are opportunities for us to reset, you know, because if left, if left unchecked, I should say, our mind does a lot of things. We tend to ruminate or think about past mistakes or things we wish we had done a different way or things that, you know, we're anticipating or worrying about in the future. Our mind is constantly doing many things, you know, seeking out and trying to avoid danger. But what we need to do is to take little times throughout the day that we break the train of everyday thought. And that's really one of the key components of what Dr. Benson um, talks about and um, talks about on his, you know, there's a, a website I can give your listeners, but to break the train of everyday thought and give our brain a break. It's like a little mini vacation. You know, it's, it's a state of deep rest. It's not sleep. Uh, you know, sleep is hugely important. We know it has its own pillar in lifestyle medicine, but but these little tiny times throughout the day of eliciting the relaxation response gives us a sense of profound rest because it takes us away from the multiple stressors, you know, um, but so do other activities. Like you've mentioned yoga, that can be a form of a re relaxation response because you're breaking the train of everyday thought and you're giving your um, a mind and body a break, brain, I should say, break. And also cooking, you know, that's a very, people talk about that as being um, the other word that you've probably heard a lot. Um, and I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, but so I don't know if you've interviewed anybody about this, but but mindfulness and Dr. John Kabat-Zinn has a lot of similar um, pr programs and techniques and mindful awareness. And when you're cooking and when you're being attentive to that detail, you're very um, present and being very mindful. And again, you're focused on the present rather than thinking about the past or the future or, you know, all those stressors that we sort of have in our mind without actually maybe having right in front of us, because that's another thing our, our minds tend to do. Let's uh, talk a little bit about some of those misconceptions. We sort of already lightly touched on that, um, about stress and resiliency and how you work to correct them with your patients. I, you might have already addressed some of these, but is it that people feel like they have to endure stress, like they just have to go through it and that's what makes them uh, stronger? Well, I certainly think that that is part of um, the culture that we're in. It, you know, it's kind of like, when you think about sleep, so it's almost like, well, I stayed up all night and studied or it's almost like a badge of honor or something like that, or, or it sounds impressive. But so I think if we have more balls in the air or, you know, have more things that we're doing, we somehow seem more validated. But I, I do think it's part of the culture that we it, it is kind of um, swinging. You know, I think much more attention is being paid to to wellness and well-being and trying to do these um, preventative techniques and self-care. And the other thing I wanted to say, I learned a lot um, with Dr. Benson's group. They talk a lot about the uh, uh, three-legged stool and how in Amer you know in modern medicine here you know there's the three legs of a stool there's the surgery and which is very important as you know <laughs> and um, and then there's the medicine or the pharmaceuticals as whole you know um, leg of the stool and then there's the self care but it's been really wobbly because self care has been very short leg <laughs> too short all these years and it's really we need to build out that leg so it's a much more balanced approach because, you know, as we know from lifestyle medicine, 
that self-care can involve things like eliciting the relaxation response daily by taking deep, you know, small things like taking deep breaths, which are really important, or, you know, longer walks meditatively, uh, I, I, I say meditatively or mindfully, but like you said, being very carefully attentive to your surroundings and being present and not, you know, worrying about hopefully what you're going to have for dinner, because that sometimes happens when, um, uh, when, uh, it's a stereotype, but, you know, women might be trying to meditate or like calm, calm themselves down by taking some breaths. And when you quiet your mind, you start thinking about like what you forgot to get at the grocery store or something. <laughs> so there are all these ty- things that we need to do to build out that, um, leg of the stool, like being physically active. Um, but that's sometimes seen as like, not too selfish, but, but basically self-care is not selfish. It's, it's important to, to build into the day. But I think that historically we haven't viewed it maybe that way. And that's why I'm enjoying this conversation because we don't address it enough. Um, you know, and as a matter of fact, while you're on that topic of self-care, tell us what is, first of all, resiliency, and the SMART program, because I think that's an, a wonderful tool that you have, um, that is now in place that you're using. Yes. So great, great question. And the resiliency, and I think that's a new buzzword that sometimes is, um, some some people are getting a little aggravated by it because it's being overused so much. But But resiliency is that ability to adapt and change. And, and if you think adapt, um, and sort of bounce back. You can think of it like that. Like if you read the the dictionary definition, it's like the the body or something gets stretched and then it comes back to the original shape. So there's a lot of different definitions, but you can think of it like an elastic, you know, have a little hair elastic or something or a rubber band and it kind of stretches, but then if it you stretch too far, it's going to snap. But you want to be able to come back and kind of bounce back. So that's the way I think of resiliency. And then, so that does tie into the the program that that has been developed at Mass General Hospital, where I have the opportunity to work, is called the Stress Management and Resiliency Training Program. So smart, <laughs> and so it's um, and it's based on the relaxation response that Dr. Benson uh, basically defined. And there's other you know key components. We have it's based on daily elicitation of the relaxation response through a variety of different ways, hopefully through the deep breathing as one of them and other um, relaxation response elicitation tools. Uh, There's also stress awareness because again, believe it or not, we're surrounded by stress, but sometimes we don't know that we're stressed (laughs) or recognize it as fully because it pops up in different ways. You know, maybe we're a little less patient than we would like to be, or we're not sleeping as much, or we find we're like biting our fingernails or something, you know, that you don't really know necessarily. So there's stress awareness. And then the other big component of um, the SMART program are these addressing healthy um, lifestyle behaviors. And, you know, each pillar is talked about from lifestyle medicine. Um, We talk about each of them. And then the other thing, the two components that are kind of not thrown in, they're thoughtfully put in there, are components and introductions to what's called cognitive behavioral therapy and positive psychology. So there's sort of the best of of best of everything you can imagine and it's and it's a program that's delivered over the course of 8 full weeks and it's offered in a group setting typically 
and it, we have it at, at the Benson Henry Institute. And also we have it in the Cancer Center. And I know you had as a guest, Dr. Amy Commander for um, as uh, one of the oncologists. And so we do offer it at Mass General and I run it um, as one of many clinicians for cancer survivors. And I just started a program for individuals at high risk for cancer. So people who know they have a genetic variation for cancer that, because as I think I've heard you say on your podcast, Maya, like when people find out something wrong or they have a, a, a new health condition, they're at a point or an inflection point in their lives. So they might be apt to make some changes. So we offer it to the cancer survivors and then the um, people at risk. And then since COVID, I've had the opportunity to, the program got modified by the people at Vincent Henry Institute for um, clinicians. And uh, we delivered it to um, healthcare providers in in the early days of the pandemic over Zoom. And um, so it's been a real privilege to do the work because it it helps people in in all um, settings. I was actually excited to know that you work there, you know, at Mass General and that you have uh, that you do work with cancer patients. And Dr. Amy Commander is uh, such an amazing individual. Uh, Just what you're doing with implementing lifestyle medicine pillars and having this program, the smart program to support patients. it's, It's beautiful. And there's something you touched on that really stood out, the stress awareness. So it's one thing to know what the SMART program is and the tools that are given. But when you start to really realize that you're becoming aware of what stresses you, when you're stressed, and then perhaps what you need to do at that moment, I think that's where the empowerment comes in. That yes. uh, you talked about, you know, the the working with patients that are at high risk um, who may, without knowing, automatically uh, feel stress, the stress of, uh, like I was talking about fleeing forward, jumping forward yeah. into what may yeah. be, what may happen. You know, last month has been February, as we were talking about, um, heart disease. Um, I thought about some of the patients that I've heard of that may be at risk for, you know, a heart attack, maybe have to re- uh, already have a stent, for example. And the amount of stress that comes with that, it's not just, you know, making lifestyle changes like, changing what you eat and exercising a little bit more. But how do you tell someone, hey, hey, you need to manage your stress? Because sometimes I think that when people hear that, they automatically stress about it. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking about that, you know, right before you said that, because that's that's a big issue, right? Because we know that um, stress, there's been some research that shows that stress contributes to many health conditions. It doesn't cause it. I guess that's one thing that we want to tell people. It it doesn't cause these problems. You know, it's not just stress that's causing somebody's blood pressure or hypertension. Although, because people have an underlying, you know, family history of hypertension, so they might, they would have it whether or not they're stressed or not, but stress doesn't help that hypertension or that, um, that blood pressure. Similarly, you know, conditions like asthma, people, stress doesn't cause asthma, but it also doesn't help asthma. It's the same with, you know, mental health conditions. So what we know is that um, stress makes almost every condition worse. So if we could at least take down a little bit of the, the burden or the wear and tear in the body that the stress is causing, we'll improve the health condition we may not make it go away and similar to the cancer, 
but we'll make that experience, that quality of life um, much better. Um, and we may be able to, you know, lessen the amount of medications, for example, someone's taking because, you know, we've at least taken down the notch of what the cancer, excuse me, the stress is worsening. So for example, in the cancer center, um, I think sometimes people worry about stress and that, and that's like an added thing that they're like, I, you know, now that I'm stressed, is this making my, is this going to worsen my cancer risk or my outcome? Trying to, you know, make them not, not make them, but allow them to be less worried about that as an added um, thing. Because again, when you have a a new uh, diagnosis, you're, you're very stressed and distressed about all the things that you may or may not have done in your life that led to that. Um, But certainly these conditions are not people's faults, you know, um, and we try to help, you know, convey that to them. Absolutely. I'm glad that you said that because people feel may feel like just one more thing for me to have to do. But we know that stress affects everything. So if you're stressed, you're going to have a hard time sleeping because at least on my end, my mind is going. Uh, It's going, it's thinking, not only the to-do list for the next day, but all the things that I didn't accomplish and also all concerns that I I may have. So stress may affect my sleep, which means I'm not rested the next day, which means I'm probably not going to eat the healthiest, which also then means I may not have energy to exercise. And so all of these components, all these pillars affect one another. And if we can manage the stress part of it it, and feel this overall calm, And if you can kind of talk a little bit about that idea of positive psychology, I've already, you know, I've addressed it in the past, but I feel that I think we need to kind of talk about it a little bit more. It's not this whole idea of faking happiness or trying to talk yourself into saying, hey, I'm, you know, but what exactly is positive psychology? Well, I'll definitely speak to that, but I wanted to just go back to one of the other things you said, because you basically point out that stress is such a you didn't say specifically the word, but vicious cycle, because like if we not sleeping and then we feel more stressed and it can go round and around and like a circle, <laughs> you know, make everything worse. And it's so bi-directional. Um, and so one of the things that, that is really helpful is trying to elicit the relaxation response throughout the day. Remember I was saying about the sleep, because it sounds counterintuitive to practice some things during the day to, to lower your stress level by, you know, eliciting the relaxation response, that that's going to help you sleep at night, but it actually does. And there's been some, you know, research around that. And also um, there's a lot of research, you know, for the Benson Henry Institute, looking at some, um, you know, stress-related conditions that, that, that are shown to be improved after people go through this eight week program. So I'll invite your listeners to look at that and we can put that in the episode notes maybe. But one of the things in terms of the positive psychology, to your point, it's not like we want to be f- um, fake or um, happy all the time because that's not accurate, right? But one of the things that we know from positive psychology, and that's a relatively recent field too. I mean, that's what's so neat about it in the scheme of um, life. You know, it's only been around not that long. Like, you know, I think it was the late nineties. It was introduced by, you know, uh, Dr. Seligman. So the, one of the things with the positive psychology is that what we know is, is that we as humans tend to focus on the negativity or the or the negative aspects again 
it's more for self-protection to potentially avoid, you know, mistakes or future events or, you know, perhaps preparing ourselves for um, maybe a negative outcome. So, but there are things that we can do in terms of positive expectation or optimism or, or you know, noting one of the practices. Um, we I don't know if you talked much about it on this podcast, but gratitude journaling is getting a lot of buzz, you know, and it doesn't have to be big, giant things that you're grateful for, because hopefully, you know, we and, and all your listeners are do have big things they're grateful for. But sometimes, frankly, we don't have big ones, you know, and people are struggling, but they might have little appreciations. Like you, when you're walking your dog, you might notice something in nature that is spectacular and beautiful, but you might not notice if you're you know, in your mind, not you personally, Maya, but if if we're all too stressed out in our mind or distracted by our phones, like getting updates on the news, which unfortunately is mostly bad these days, you know, we might not notice the beauty and the nature surrounding us. So it's the positive psychology is trying to engage the parts of our brain of awe and, you know, of appreciation and the positives because there are positives, but they aren't as obvious sometimes when we're feeling so stressed and in the stress response. Oh, nicely put. The when we're stressed, um, it feels huge. And some of us feel the the body is highly, highly affected. And you're right, just focusing. There's so much beauty in this world. um, But sometimes it's really hard to find, you know, and, and sometimes it's not easy, right? And in one of the activities we do in the um the smart program is we talk about appreciations for the day and have people write them down and and I always point out that sometimes what I really appreciate is just having a sharp pencil you know I love sharp pencils like that's a silly appreciation that I wouldn't put that on my gratitude list but I would certainly list it as an appreciation yeah. certain uh, that I, makes me happy I love this kind of work I mean I love how I can work with an individual as you know have a coach who will take me within the hour of dealing with something that's highly stressful that's really affecting me to finishing up with this feeling of how you know just inner peace like true peace at that moment we could either be in one space or the other but that's why we need people like you to guide us in that and so you so you work at Mass General do you offer any kind of telehealth or any kind of virtual support as well? Any coaching? Yeah. So a couple of things on that um, regard. So we do at Mass General, the, the, when COVID hit pre-COVID, I was offering these groups in person, the SMART program in person, and as a number of um, other providers do and, and were. And since COVID, we offer them, you know, virtually. And in terms of the SMART program, it, it lends itself really well to a group program because I think part of it that's so helpful, Maya, is for people to find out that they're not the only ones that struggle with these issues, that we all sort of have similar struggles with stress. Um, and I think sometimes the negative automatic thoughts that go along with stress, that we think that maybe we're the only ones that have that, but knowing that that's you know, typical and um, okay, and that there are ways in which that we can choose you know, other thoughts. Um, so it's a long way of answering that I, I have stepped in to fill in a little bit, um, at the home base program. And then we do those, um, virtually that's a program for veterans and family members. And then the, I've had the, been 
again, great fortune of being at Mass General and, and working with the clinicians there. And we, through a program there, a bunch of us got certified as health and well-being coaches. So now, you know, because you're absolutely right, a coach is, is different from another type of professional that you're working with. Um, and there are, it's much more of a, a partnership and there's a lot of positive psychology that goes within that. Um, so I do do some work with some fellow um, clinicians and healthcare providers at the hospital through that. And I'm just starting a little private practice, but mainly working through the hospital and different uh, types of populations within that um, mm. reach. Yes. And, you know, now that you're sort of talking about j- just your work, I wonder how different it is, you know, when we talk about our, like our medical professionals, our physicians who are not necessarily trained in prescribing nutrition or exercise as medicine, really not trained in lifestyle medicine in general. How different is your training in psychiatry compared to where you are today? Um, you said that I think in 20, was it in 20? Was it last year when you became certified, board certified in lifestyle medicine? It was 2021, but I think it feels such such a blur. It was December <laughs> right. 2021. And in then I did the next year. I think everybody knows that strange experience in the early COVID years, that it's just time's taken a strange twist. Right. And so how different is it when when you came into this lifestyle, which I didn't even touch on, how who introduced you to lifestyle medicine and how did that take you from your work in psychiatry to where you are today, now trained almost like a coach? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it's it's not a funny story and it's not that long, but there are a lot of interesting people. And I've, I've, again, been so fortunate to have my training um, at Mass General. To your point, like we didn't learn a lot about the pillars of lifestyle medicine in terms of like physical activity and well, nutrition is kind of the classic. I'm sure you heard this from a lot of physicians. Mm-hmm. Like in medical school, we got hardly any nutritional training. You know, um, it's embarrassing to think about, it. and I'm not even that old. You know what? <laughs> so I went to medical school. I finished um, in 2002. So basically, but nowadays it's really incorporated to met into many medical schools and residencies, nutritional um, training, and and it's really gotten so much more um, attention and physical activity. And and again, it's we're, we're really making great headway. And you know, I commend everyone at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and helping doing that um, work because again, it's so necessary. But to go backwards a little bit in psychiatry. I just love to talk to people. (laughs) So I love to talk to you, (laughs) but I just really like, um, and think it's so important for people to be able to tell their, um, story and experience. And, and absolutely there's a role for medicines in terms of mental health conditions. Um, and that's without a doubt, you know, and they're very, um, they're very needed and necessary, but we also need the lifestyle um, interventions and the behavioral and attention to some of the behaviors that people are doing. And again, many people are in circumstances that are really difficult and challenging. Um, and maybe not that they can't do these. It's it's complicated. You know, I, um, I came from a, a family, not, no one in my family were, was in medicine. So, so I was the only doctor in the family. So, uh, I, and not everybody has the most healthy behaviors. <laughs> that's true for everybody, right? <laughs> Lifestyle behaviors. And that's true for me, for me and my family too. But um, so 
one of the, I remember going to a conference, I think we mentioned my husband, he, he and I met in medical school, but he's a physiatrist or rehab doctor. I don't know if you know about that field, but um, physical medicine rehabilitation. So Dr. Eddie Phillips, who is in um, his department and Dr. Beth Frady's there, they were in the Spalding program um, here in Massachusetts. And I went to uh, Dr. Eddie Phillips talk when he started the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine. So he would always have these um, conferences and he's like, what are you doing here again, April? And then they kept on showing up because I just loved what he was talking about. And so, you know, that's, I kept on following that. And then I got the additional training in the mind-body medicine um, at the Benson Henry Institute, because all these things really just add to the care of an individual and are, are nice compliments. And the coaching is just another additional tool. And not everybody needs a psychiatrist. But I think most people need to pay more attention to the mental health. <laughs> so as a, you know, now having the additional training as a health and well-being coach, it's just another way to potentially meet people where they're at, but also have the ability to provide them with a lot of information and education. So in many ways, you have been on your own journey in terms of your yes, career yeah. and how you've gathered all these tools to support your patients. Um, you know, you you mentioned group therapy. I call it group therapy, but the group yeah. program, I find yeah. that sort of setting to be so effective. I also like that in this field of lifestyle medicine, we have more and more individuals that are trauma informed, yes. which is Absolutely incredible. And yes. if you are in psychiatry and you have that additional training of being trauma informed and also knowing how to do group therapy, that's where I've had some of my major breakthroughs is in yes. a group setting because the trust that you build among that small group is incredible. Yes. Well, well, first of all, I'm so glad that you had that counselor, you know, way back then, Maya, and that you've continued to, you know, take advantage of some of these um, opportunities for, for you because I think. That is the most important part. I wish we had less stigma around these um, modalities, you know, for people to take care of themselves because it's so important. And, but, but to your point, I think it does start in the school. I also went to the guidance counselor when I was in, you know, elementary and middle school and have very fond memories. And, and I do think I wanted to be a doctor because I loved going to my own pediatrician. <laughs> so, you know, it, it happens early. You know, we get exposed yeah. to people that really can help us. Um, so I think that, but the group environment is so important too, because the smart program that, that I'm running or that I have the opportunity to run because I didn't start it, you know, I didn't invent it, but, um, the, we consider it not as a supportive psychotherapy group. It's more of a psychoeducational group, mm -hmm. but you're absolutely right because there is something about being in a, a group with other people. And, and like I said, recognizing, and, and I share very honestly, like these stress management tools I utilize too. Like, and there's sometimes I'm on these Zooms and I was like, well, I didn't really sleep very well last night, you know, so I'm not my sharpest. So they know that it's a, a real person working with them that, you know, has real struggles with, with, um, you know, issues because life intervenes sometimes. But yeah. I think in the group setting, we can feel less alone. And which is again, that important other pillar in lifestyle medicine and social connection. And it doesn't have to be a, a huge, we can get social connection from a variety of different um, places. It can be within a, you know, a mental health field or, um, or mental health setting, or it can be with other individuals as well. Yes, yes. 
And as a matter of fact, while we're talking about sort of a group setting, not necessarily the same thing, but you and your husband are very passionate about working um, in a program that's also the Resilient Warrior, Resilient Family Program called Home Base. And there's a podcast involved. Tell us how this all came about and, and what is it? Who is this program for? Oh, yeah. No, that's a, another uh, great program. And again, this is where I feel so fortunate to be in um, Massachusetts, you know, and at Mass General, because it, it really is a rich um, uh, area for medicine and academics, of course. But Home Base is, it's called Home Base Program for Veterans and Families. And it's, re- the reason why it's called Home Base is because it started as a partnership between the Red Sox Foundation. Boston Red Sox Foundation and um, Mass General Hospital. So Tim Wakefield, the I mean, there's a lot of stories, but basically the Red Sox went to visit um, Walter Reed Hospital, you know, and and were visiting with some of the um, injured veterans there, and it fostered a big conversation because they have a foundation and they have an affiliation with Mass General and this partnership was born to be able to take care of the invisible wounds of war and those primarily traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress, because those are often, you know, not that they're not important, but they're not as visible as somebody that's, you know, lost a limb or, or something like that. So, so, and, and again, to, to reduce some of the stigma associated with it, you know, they do a lot of education and outreach that home base does. And that's why the podcast sort of came about because as as you mentioned, my husband and I didn't serve in the military, but certainly have a profound gratitude for the for the service that the, the military pr- provides. And we can only be here doing what we're doing because of what the, the sacrifices of so many. So that podcast is talking a little bit about the the bridge between the civilian world and the um, uh, the military world. Again, not that they're so different, but there's also um, that there is a partnership that needs to be able to help everybody access this type of care um, and treatment potentially. So they have their um, the resilient family and resilient warrior programs is based on this part partly on the SMART program or the relaxation response program. It's a partnership with the Benson Henry Institute too. So it's all this overlap with all these programs. And, but they also at, at um, home base offer a lot of wellness programming and, and fitness because the entry point for some people is around fitness and especially for individuals who've been, you know, who've served, you know, they're very, um, they've done, a, unfortunately, a lot of physical and movement related um, programs, but a lot of people love fitness and they um, are able to access that, some nutritional services. So it's a lot of um, programs and it's free. And again, so little that's free in this world. So we always like to tell people about it. So hopefully we can give the listeners that to um, that program. Yes. We're going to make sure to put the link in the show notes. And I'd love for you, my listeners to, you know, have a listen, check out the website and maybe share it with Another person who you think might benefit, I I did have the opportunity to listen to the most recent episode with your husband and one of the guests who talked about how, 
when the family member, which could be mom or dad or both parents, yeah. when yeah. the family member um, serves, it's not really just the parent that serves. The children yeah. sort of sacrifice yeah. their lifestyle as well when the parent is not only physically absent, but this is the part that touched me, Dr. Hirschberg, because I am an emotional person and I'm touched yeah. by these beautiful stories is how they're using, for example, the Sesame Street characters in yes. in speaking to children and in, in seeing themselves in these characters that have also had the parent that is not physically present, but also emotionally not right. always available right. because of the psychological component of having served. Uh, yeah. So what you're doing through the podcast and through this program that is free for families in the military. I think it's so beautiful to do this. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that that one because it reminded me of something I forgot to mention, Maya, is that they do have a resilient youth program that they're offering to um, the, the children of military service members and veterans. And so that's in partnership with the the the, um, the Benson Henry, but also the child psychiatry and uh, you know adolescent um, program at Mass General. So it's all tailored, you know, through uh, you know from they have elementary school groups, they have middle school groups, they have high school groups, and it's all tailored to some of the topics that, as you point out, like a parent being deployed is very different stressor for a young child as opposed to somebody whose parents is not deployed or at, both parents are at home or something like that. Yeah. Well, this is amazing. Thank you for, for that. I mean, this is a wonderful way for us to support the people that give us the help of keep our freedoms that Absolutely. we have in this country. It's a wonderful way to honor them for their service. Absolutely. So we definitely want to encourage people to check that out. Another thing that you do that I'm very, and we're both actually very passionate about is supporting women in health and and more specifically supporting women in supporting their own mental health. Um, last year, as we were approaching the Lifestyle Medicine Conference, I actually hosted some of the speakers that were set to speak at the conference here on the podcast. So I, I had several individuals, including one of your colleagues, that came on to talk about mental health. And so tell us what you're up to when it comes to women's health and about your involvement in this year's conference. Oh, sure. Well, you know, like you said, there's so many people that are involved in the ACLM and there's so many great member interest groups. And I happen to be involved in the mental and behavioral health um, uh, in member interest group. And I think you had Dr. Um, Alyssa Bella. I actually realized I only just call her Alyssa, so I don't know how to pronounce her last name. But she and I got, you know, we've Zoomed a, a few times. And and so um, so I work within that member interest group. And I know there's, I think she was on your podcast and she presented on a gr great topic um, last year. And one of the things that I also attend sometimes is the women's health um, member interest group. So I've got to meet some of the people through there. So for this fall, we're offering for the Lifestyle Medicine 2023, we're going to do a workshop, a pre-conference workshop on lifestyle medicine and women's mental health across the reproductive lifespan, basically. I don't know if that's the exact title, but that's the basic gist. <laughs> but because some of the, I didn't mention that right after uh, my residency, I did work for many years in the women's mental health program at Mass General. And that's another great resource for women, and they keep it a very active um, blog with um, looking at different 
periods or episodes in a woman's life that there's a little bit increased risk of mental health conditions um, around, you know, uh, premenstrual, premenstrually or uh, around pregnancy and postpartum and then perimenopause and menopause. So, so based on some of that work, but also some of the great work that's being done by some colleagues in the ACLM, myself and uh, Dr. Christy Van Winden, I think you talked with, and then also Nancy Eisenberg and I are all, who's a neurologist. Um, so we have OB-GYN, neurology and psychiatry, and we're all p- kind of partnering and going to give a, a great t- um, talk on, on what we can do to help bolster women's uh, mental health using some lifestyle medicine um, pillars and also some of the self-care that's kind of unique to, to women or, or people who identify as women. So, you know, you know, around caretaking or um, some of the unique struggles in COVID or, you know, certainly the higher risk that um, women or individuals identifying as women face in terms of history of violence that they might have um, been a victim of. So there's a lot of topics that we'll touch upon. So it'll be a great uh, morning. (laughs) Yes, I'm looking forward to that. What are some of the common stressors that women face that are maybe unique to women? You talked a little bit about physical health. Uh, and how do we process stress differently than men? And I think there are certain things about women or um, biologically female individuals because estrogen, just just to point out, uh, um, estrogen that, again, both men and women have, but women have more of and episodically are being um, at higher amounts, again, throughout the menstrual cycle and then throughout different periods of life. So estrogen interacts with uh, serotonin as a neuromodulator, and serotonin is something that we have in our brains and our guts because that's why sometimes we, if we feel a lot of stress or um, distress, we might get a stomach upset, you know, because we have serotonin receptors in our um, gastrointestinal system. But this estrogen-serotonin connection really does put women at a heightened risk, you know, or vulnerable, a little more vulnerable to to stress because of certain times that they may have lower estrogen. <laughs> you know what I mean? And th- those times are sometimes not predictable, especially during periods of time like perimenopause and, and other, or, or even in the menstrual cycle. So so w- women are inherently a, a little bit, um, at times, maybe a little more vulnerable t- to stress based on their hormonal status. And again, it's helping individuals recognize and be responsive to that stress awareness. So some of the some of the tools around, especially around individuals with premenstrual mood worsening or you know struggles around that, just tracking your symptoms or signals of stress or or distress helps because you can then anticipate like you know at a certain time you might be a little less able to withstand some of the stressors that you might have been okay withstanding even two weeks prior. So again, it's just stress awareness. So I think that's one tip that women can really utilize is to try to learn um, as much as they can about their own experience and how they perceive experiences. Um, But also just recognizing too that, again, this is a a generalized um, statement, but many um, women or individuals who I should say could be the individual who is um, staying at home and being the caretaker. I think it's that role that often um, gives one more stress (laughs) because that role 
not only do you have your own role as you know in your, your job or in your um, outside role outside the home, but within the home, you're also thinking about all the things within the home. So that whoever is sort of in the caretaking role at home has much more stress <laughs> because they're juggling all kinds of balls that other people might not see who aren't doing those roles. Uh, and again, it's, it can be a stereotype, but you know, when you're doing the the meal prep and making sure the cleaning and making sure all these things happen at home, in addition to outside the home, that's going to give anybody a lot of uh, extra stress that the people who don't do it don't even know that that individual <laughs> does that. Yes. <laughs> so I think that's something to just be aware of. There are going to be certain situations where, again, maybe not you personally, but anyone that's a little bit more in the stress response when we're being you know, a little more in charge by our amygdala, that sort of older part of our brain, rather than the prefrontal that's very clear headed and thinking clearly, um, you know, we're not going to be best suited for some of these conversations, you know, yep. and going back to the, the last one, I wanted to just mention, I realized I mentioned Goldie Hawn and didn't mention it, but she, when she's working with the kids, she has this program called Mind Up and it's, she partnered with Scholastic and, but in, the description of the amygdala, that fear part of our brain, the stress response part, she talks about it as the barking dog. And then the prefrontal cortex as being the wise old owl that sort of is all seeing. So it's only when we're in that relaxation response that we're able to see things clearly from above with some distance. And so when we're right in it, and again, and sometimes again, within the home, we're right in the midst of it. Um, we're not going to be able to see, see clearly. So having a little bit of distance and saying, yeah, this isn't the right time to talk about this is really important. Um, absolutely. Wonderful. So uh, Dr. Hirschberg, is there anything else that you that would like to share with our listeners? Is there something that I might have skipped or didn't ask that you think we should know about? Well, I guess one thing that I always try to do and think about is you know, trying to get this information into everybody's hands. <laughs> I guess that's the thing is like, I I think that it's never too, I think I mentioned this before, it's never too late to learn some of these strategies for ourselves, but it's also never too early. That's why I really, you know, I commend um, what Goldie Hawn's doing with her program because she's getting it into the schools. And I think it, in a way, to be able to start talking about the stress response and relaxation response as two very um, natural parts of ourselves that we can learn to access. And, you know, um, that everyone should have some of this information and tools. And I just don't know how really to get it to people, <laughs> you mm. know, because I don't think people should have to pay for a course or, you know, do this. And that's why I wish sometimes that we could get this more into schools and it is going into some schools. The Benson Henry program has a resilient school program teaching teachers, but I just wish we all could have learned this sooner because I think we mm. would have been better off. <laughs> I guess that's my sort of take home message. So that's why I'm just so happy that you had me on the podcast um, and yeah. for people to look at um, into this more because it's really important and it's very self-empowering, but it's not to diminish that we don't also maybe need you know, more um, uh, traditional, you know, mental health care or a psychiatrist or psychologist, you know, and not everyone can manage things with lifestyle um, behaviors or, or, um, but it's a nice compliment, but 
I just, it's, it's like the foundation going back to that stool that um, Dr. Benson talks about. We need to have an even balanced stool so we can approach mm-hmm. life, you know, in a more balanced way. Yes. And I, I think what you lightly are touching on is making this, um, you know, like when we talk about health equity, making it available and accessible to everyone. Not everyone can afford to go see a psychiatrist. Right. That can be very expensive, even a coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to know that there are tools out there, for example, I do listen to some meditation um, podcasts because yeah. now and podcasts are free, by the way. I, yes, I keep yeah. saying that I'm going to make a video on explaining how podcasting works, but you can download the app, whether it's Apple or Spotify and look for relaxation and or yoga to listen to those things. And one thing that I also learned, uh, someone told me about Wim Hof, the Wim Hof app. Those are the deep breath, uh, wrist my husband says, all you're doing is hyperventilating. <laughs> oh, right, right. And that with a cold too, right? Yes, 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 yes. But what I've learned in the evening that works for me, and it's amazing, is when my mind starts to do that busyness and, you know, overwhelming myself with thoughts is I take deep, profound breaths and I just focus on my breathing. Yeah. And before you know it, I'm asleep. But YouTube is a great resource. So if you want to tell us about what we can look for, for example, on YouTube, but YouTube podcasts and uh, and also some of the other apps that may be a one time fee, like three ninety nine. Yeah. I don't know, but I I have considered using either Headspace or Calm, and I don't yeah. know if they're free or not. But oh, I can tell there... you a little bit. Yeah. So Please, yes. so a couple of things. So the Benson Henry Institute does have some things on their um, website. They have actually a nice YouTube video of Dr. Herb Benson guiding someone through how to elicit the relaxation response. So I I highly recommend that. And then the other ones, some of the ones that you mentioned, Headspace and Calm are both apps. They do have introductory offers that are free. Um, Headspace, for example, their tagline is the gym membership for the mind. So that's always, that's a nice that's a great tagline. So I, that was the first one I used. Um, and they're partnering a lot with um, employers and offering that free. Some employers are offering it. And someone just told me that Netflix, actually, it was someone in one of my groups told me that Netflix offers either Headspace or Calm. I can't remember because I haven't, I don't know how to use that Netflix, only my teenagers do. <laughs> so, but basically you can apparently access that. That's not free, but, um, and then Insight Timer is another app that's totally free. And that has a lot of um, meditations and um, mindfulness um, I love opportunities it. here. I think if it's appealing to people and about with somebody that they sort of respect or, you know, anybody that sort of has a high level of something, obviously he has business. Yes. <laughs> but um, the, there's another great book too. Um, the, the, the Goldie Hawn, she had wrote a book called 10 Mindful Minutes, which I've listened to on audiobook. I don't know if you've ever heard that one, but that's for people with younger kids. But the other um, interesting person is um, Dan Harris. I don't know if you've heard of him, but Dan Harris yes. was a speaker at one of the Benson Henry um, Institutes too. And he wrote a book called 10% Happier. Um, and he has quite an interesting story and he has a podcast and, you know, has some meditations on there too. So I, I recommend that to people because he, as a journalist, was also very skeptical about the benefits of like um, meditation and what that can do. So he does it sort of like an investigative journalist type um, approach. Yes. He's the one that had the live panic attack. 
yes. on air. Yes. Yeah. So and he talked about that. that. So it was pretty fascinating. Um, so he's, he's, I think for people to watch him and listen to him, I think he's got a certain, you know, relatability because he certainly has experienced the benefits of these practices. That's right. And then there are also, I mean, there's so many resources, but YouTube provides you free resources that you can also use uh, your app to watch some of these. Uh, I started many years ago with guided meditations and nature walks, and those help me to presence myself when I'm in nature. So there are many resources that can be supportive. Yeah. For us. And like I said, I also have the book, The Relaxation Response, because yes. I wanted to understand it more. Um, but all of these tools are so available. And then just one more thing that I too want to mention is my husband um, sometimes has that busy mind at night. Yeah. One thing that he started doing to help him sleep is put on a white noise app. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is it every bedtime night, fan? We use the bedtime <laughs> fan. So there's white noise. I need to ask him, but every night we go to sleep to the sound of rain. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't really have that much of a problem going to sleep, but I, I find that it's very soothing. Right. Uh, so it, it's important to support not only ourselves, but our partners, because maybe our partners struggle a little bit with stress or sleep or anything like that. So, Absolutely. And that, yeah. oh, one last thing is the, the one other um, thing I wanted to just bring about is that there's also everybody has unique ways to bring about their own relaxation response. And for some mentioned partners, like I mentioned before, my husband is a musician. So for some people, music can really elicit the relaxation response by listening to music or certainly playing music for those who can play who have that gift. But, um, but that can bring about a very, um, that break, break the train of everyday thought, because when you're in that flow of doing something else and, you know, or the cooking. There's just something that really gives your mind a break. Um, and break yes, break. that's the point. That's the key is to give ourselves a break from yeah. all the thoughts. Yeah. And when we're not thinking for that slight half second or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, it feels so good. Yes. To yeah. not be thinking yes. or stressing. Exactly. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, thank you so much for taking the time, Dr. Hirschberg, well, to, to really support my listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much. Oh, and one more thing. Um, are there any websites, yours, or any other uh, uh, contact information that you'd like to share in case people want to inquire more about how to manage their stress? Well, I mean, I think I'd, I'd probably refer people back to the Benson Henry Institute website because they have, I didn't go into a lot of the research because Dr. Benson wrote that book back in like 1973 or 75 or something, but he's done significant um, research you know, at the, um, looking at even the gene level and some of, you know, fMRI studies, looking at the studies of the brain and some of the impact this has. So I would refer people to that website. It's www.bensonhenryinstitute.org. And you can find everything I've been talking about, all these resiliency programs. And, um, and then the other one is probably the, the home base we talked about, I don't know that one off the top of my head, but you could Google home base um, program for veterans. And awesome. then my um, my own one, I have a little website, you know, because I do a little bit of lifestyle medicine consultation and um, trying to run some of these programs privately for um, individuals um, with the high risk for cancer. That's kind of my little program that I'm trying to get off the ground. 
And so mine is um, www.aprilhirschberg.com. <laughs> so it's very basic. wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. All right, friends. Thank you for joining us for this enlightening conversation with Dr. April Hirschberg. And we hope that you gained valuable insights into the benefits of mind-body medicine. We've given you so many resources that it's amazing. I can't wait for you to check those out. Um, we talked about the importance of stress management, resilience, building, and practical tips for improving your overall well-being. Remember, taking care of yourself is an important part of living a healthy lifestyle. And with the right tools and mindset, you can build resilience and find peace in even the most challenging of times. So be sure to put um, Dr. Hirschberg's advice in practice and stay tuned for more inspiring interviews on the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast. As always, thank you for being a listener. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave an honest review as well at ratethispodcast.com forward slash HLS. This helps us to spread our message. And as always, thank you for being a listener. 